Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to Holy Soup. We're coming to you today from Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, one of the reasons that um, people today are walking away from church, they say, is that uh, they're simply not comfortable with the format, with the, with the method that uh, we use for conducting weekly meetings at church. In fact, uh, one of the uh, most common things that we hear from the duns, those people who have left the church, not necessarily left their faith, but have left the organized church, one of the main reasons they say that they've left is that uh, they're simply no longer patient sitting and listening to one person doing all the talking. They're not interested in passively listening or participating in something that does not allow their own participation, their ability to join in in the conversation, ask questions, and be a part of what's taking place. But now, some church leaders are taking another look at this Sunday morning experience, and one of those is Steve Sims with Berry Street Worship Center here in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you, Tom. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Steve, you're the author of Beyond Church, and the subtitle of that is uh, An Invitation to Experience the Lost Word of the Bible. What is the lost word of the Bible? Well, the lost word is a Greek word, uh, and when the New Testament was translated by the King James translators, they changed the the meaning of the word. The word is ekklesia in the Greek, and it was literally the city council of Greek city-states. So Athens, Sparta, they all had their ekklesia. So when Jesus said, I will build my ekklesia, he was saying, I will build my city council. And King James, when they translated it, used a word that meant a worship circle, a pagan worship circle. That's the origin of the English word church. So, uh, but the lost word is ecclesia. So you use uh, that that concept of ecclesia more than the uh, at least the the uh, contemporary impression that we have of the term church. Yeah, there, there's actually uh, quite a difference in definition. Uh, church is a place of worship or a house of the Lord. And as I mentioned, it was originally uh, pagans, you know, the, the Celts. Uh, but then when it, they, it came into English, it, they began to refer to, you know, houses of worship. Whereas ecclesia uh, is literally a gathering, an assembly, and an assembly uh, where there's open deliberation. Well, tell us what this looks like. If uh, if we were to visit you at uh, at Berry Street Worship Center on a typical Sunday, what would we experience? Well, first, there's not a typical Sunday. My wife and I have been co-leading this for eight years, and every Sunday we leave going, we've never seen anything like that. <laughs> so it's never the same. But there is a little bit of a format. We start with, we actually schedule someone to read a scripture at the very beginning. And so they read a scripture, and they give a two- or three-minute uh, sharing of what it means and say a prayer. Then every week we have a different worship leader. And being in Nashville, there are lots of worship leaders. So we have actually in eight years had more than 100 individuals or groups lead worship. 
And so a, a worship leader comes and they lead uh, spirit-led, anointed worship. We say, please don't be the worship leader, be the lead worshiper. So we just enter into you know, uh, heartfelt worship. And after 20, 30 minutes, just that we let them go until they feel the spirit uh, is ready to stop. After that, then sometimes if we have a lot of visitors, my wife or I will stand up and lay down a couple of ground rules. If it's familiar people, we just sit there and uh, one after the other, people begin to share. It's based on 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six. It says, when you come together, each one of you has. And so each person present, according to Paul, has something to share. And so that's, we just wait. And uh, sometimes it goes two and a half hours. And people don't want to leave. Sometimes it's an hour and 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, we just, we just it's like a family gathering. Is it uh, related to a theme for the week, or is it completely open to whatever people bring? It's completely open. We don't set a theme, but it's interesting. Sometimes themes occur. At the end of the meeting, we're like, wow, that was all about humility, or that was all, you know, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit puts it together. But we don't program it. It's completely unprogrammed, aside from the worship leader in the Scripture. So people are invited to share during this part of the service with whatever they have. What what are some of the typical things that you hear? Uh, uh, sometimes it's teaching. People will share, and we ask one of the things we ask is be brief and consider others better than yourself. So sometimes people will give short three five minute teachings, three to five minutes. Sometimes it's a testimony of something that happened either that week. Sometimes it's a salvation testimony that we've had people say, I feel like I'm supposed to share how I met the Lord. Uh, sometimes it's a word of knowledge. Uh, sometimes it's a vision. The Holy Spirit just showed me uh, something. Does that mean anything to anybody? Uh, sometimes uh, it's a prophetic word from the Lord. Sometimes it's just to read a scripture. So it's really diverse. Now, why... Why have you pursued this form of gathering? And I know from, from your background, you haven't always pursued church or ecclesia in this mm -hmm. way. Uh, what brought you to this, and why do you do it? Well, uh, it goes all the way back to my childhood. I, was, I grew up a Presbyterian and had an encounter at the time. I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit, but asked me, why I thought I believed Christianity. The question was, if you were a Hindu, what would you be today? That came to me in a church service as a teenager. And I realized if I was a Hindu, I would have been a Hindu if I grew up a Hindu. So I realized I wasn't a Christian and became an agnostic. And about three years later, I walked into a meeting in the Jesus movement, an ecclesia meeting on a college campus, about 60 college students meeting spontaneously with no leader. I walk in and hear a couple of testimonies. And my life, I mean, I, I, I see Jesus in these people, and I know that he's real, not because of a theological reasoning, but because I experienced him. And so I was part of that fellowship for about four years. And on graduation, I wanted to find a church like that, spent the rest of my adult life looking for that, which, you know, I mentioned in the book, a lot of the, you know, I even became a Presbyterian, uh, ordained Presbyterian minister and did that for several years. Well, what are the main benefits of uh, conducting the gathering this way? You know, the main thing that I see is people grow. 
you know, and they, they, they retain. When I was first a Presbyterian minister, my first church, I'd preached about six weeks, and I, it didn't seem like anything was happening. I was putting my whole heart in it, had about 30 people. And so on, like the sixth Sunday night, I thought, I'm going to have a sermon quiz. So I went to all the sermons. I'd preach Sunday morning and Sunday night, so I'd have preached 11 sermons. So I said, instead of a, a sermon tonight, I'm going to give you a quiz on the first 11 sermons. So I asked things like, you know, simple things like, you know, how many husbands did the woman at the will have? Uh, and I try, and, and I, I, even easier things, you know, like, uh, but not one person knew one answer to any of my sermons. I asked a general question on 11 sermons, including the one I had just preached that morning. Not one person could answer it. So, but, you know, when you uh, hear someone share from the heart, it's real and it, it penetrates your heart. And then the thing is, when you share, you know, you may not remember everything you've heard someone else, but if you've taught, if you've testified, I guarantee you're going to remember that and it'll change you. What is your role in all of this as the leader, as, as an ordained minister who comes with lots of biblical knowledge and so on? What What is your role in this? Yeah, there is a role for uh, leadership. And, you know, the Bible calls, the New Testament calls church leaders or ecclesia leaders, elders, and also the term bishop in the King James. But the original word for bishop literally means overseer. So my role uh, in spiritually mature believers role in a body like that is just to be an overseer and an overseer is like an official in football or basketball the official in football doesn't go out and throw a pass he doesn't stand up and give a long talk he stays uh, off to the side and runs up and down the field and if there's an infraction he throws the flag or blows a whistle and uh, stops the action and gets everything back in order and then he once he gets it in order he doesn't give an hour talk or 45 minutes dog, he steps back out of the way and lets the action you know, go. So uh, the leadership role in Ecclesia is basically just that of oversight, not to control the meeting, not to program it, but to make sure that no one else you know, takes control in the flesh or in, in their own ego. You know, I've got a lot of uh, pastor friends, minister friends who I'm sure right now the, the hair is standing up in the backs <laughs> of their necks because uh, they'll often say, well, I have, I have a biblical mandate to preach. You're telling me that I should stop preaching in the historical, traditional way? I'm uh, agreeing with Martin Luther uh, that that biblical mandate goes far beyond the uh, pastor or the lead elder that biblical mandate to preach the gospel was to all his disciples go into all the world and preach to every nation and then he said in teaching them to observe all things i have commanded you so if jesus told the 11 to go preach they're supposed to go preach and then tell their disciples to do everything jesus commanded them which is to go preach and he didn't say stay and preach you know, I, I don't really believe preaching is primarily for ecclesia. Uh, the big sermon Peter preached on Pentecost wasn't to the 11 or to the 120 in the upper room. He stumbled out on the street and preached into the you know, on the street corner. So I believe every uh, saved person, every born again believer, is called of God. The you know the uh, 
Protestant reformers call this the priesthood of all believers. They, they proclaimed it, but then they denied it in their actions. But I know for many pastors, they're thinking, well, this is what I've been trained in. This is what I know. This is what I'm gifted in. And you're asking me to muzzle myself. It, it seems like a waste. It seems like uh, denying the gifts that God has given me to share with the people. Um, yeah, I can understand that. I, I struggle with some of that myself. I actually love preaching uh, more than just about anything. I mean, I love to preach, and I, I still get the opportunity to share. And any Sunday morning, I'll share once or twice in, you know, three, four, five minutes and try to keep it short. Uh, but uh, people grow more. It's, it's, a, it, it's a matter, do I want to do my thing and my calling, or do I want to see other people come into their calling? And which is more effective, me, you know, me preaching to, like, we have 30, 35 adults on Sunday, me preaching to them, or them getting a touch from Jesus, the living, resurrected Jesus, and going out during the week and preaching to others. And I fulfill part of my calling by blogging. I, I write uh, almost a daily blog, probably five days a week I blog. And the one reason I do that, I have my gift of teaching is is stirring up, and I've felt the Lord told me to lay it down on Sunday morning. You know, that, that takes, I think, a real dose of humility to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's humility, uh, self-denial, even more than humility, because to give up doing something you really love to do, and, and you know, and I've always been pretty good at it. I mean, I, I actually think I'm one of the best preachers I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you say so yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure a lot of people upon hearing this come up with lots of fears in their mind. Mm -hmm, of, uh, mm -hmm. This won't work. This can't work. This this shouldn't work. And some of the uh, common ones that uh, I hear, at least, when talking about this with pastors is, uh, well, if you open up the floor, if you open up the microphone, all you're going to have is a sharing of ignorance in the room. Wow, that's uh, not a very high view of a pastor saying that, and he's been pastoring that church for one year, five years, seven years, 10 years. And after five years, 10 years of hearing him, he's saying all these people are ignorant. That sure doesn't say much for preaching. If, you know, if they've been sitting under a pastor, gifted pastors preaching for a year or five years or 10 years, for God's sakes, if preaching is worth a thing, they should no longer be ignorant and they should be, you know, ready to share. But surely you've heard since you've been doing this with people, you've probably heard people who get off track. They, they get into weird stuff, maybe even heresy. What happens? When, uh, this what? is the amazing thing. This astonishes me. Uh, we have been meeting for eight years, and next, a, a week from Sunday will be our eighth anniversary of, of, of right. as a body. And in the eight years, uh, we have had several hundred people. We get a lot of first-time visitors because we do it differently, and people come to see it. And uh, we and, and first-time visitors are welcome to share. Anybody can share. And in eight years, in a wacko 21st century America, we have never had anyone share anything inappropriate, bad theology, 
out of line, never, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle. It shows you the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The worst thing we've ever had is we've had a couple of people over the last eight years, two different ladies, and they were not there at the same time, who would talk three, four, five times every Sunday. And uh, I would have to pull them aside and say, you know, we're so glad you're here, but please only talk once or twice and try to keep it you know, short. And one of them got mad and left. The other one got mad and sat in the back of the room and sulked for six months, and then she left. But that's the worst we've ever had, and that's the myth. There's a myth in people's minds. Uh, You know, 21st century Americans were educated people, and that alone is grounds to do this. But even beyond that, the Holy Spirit is real. I mean, if Jesus is alive from the dead, like the movie Risen, by the way, go see it. It's great. And I have no uh, ties to it, but I just saw it yesterday. But if Jesus is really risen and present when we gather in his name, isn't he a better programmer of a worship service than me? I mean, I I took, uh, I got a master's of divinity degree. I've got years of experience, but I have to say Jesus can run a worship service better than I can. Now, if we serve a dead Jesus who's not with us when we gather in our name, I need to program it, and I need to watch out because somebody may say something wrong. But the presence of Jesus, you feel his presence at Berry Street. But realistically, it could happen. I mean, somebody could go off and start spewing stuff that uh, is just embarrassing. Right. And all you do, I mean, that could happen. Uh, let's see, I saw recently in the last year some big-time pastor in some big church was preaching, and somebody from the congregation just walked up onto the platform and began to rebuke him, Whoa. and uh, they, they gave him a prophetic word, and saying, and this was all over Facebook and all over the internet a year ago, so it could happen anywhere, you, you know, uh, it's not, the, just because a pastor controls the meeting doesn't stop somebody from standing up and talking, we just give them permission, and if somebody should stand up and say, I believe God is a big frog, and he, he sits on uh, Mars and and he's a big frog. I would just say, well, thank you for sharing. But you know, the Bible teaches that God is a spirit, and a spirit doesn't have a physical body. And so, you know, we stick with the Bible here. But thank you for sharing. Who's next? So, so you'd be prepared to come in and do a little refereeing if you had. To. Oh yeah, that's like the official in football. I mean, you know, the overseers, my wife and I, and we have several other mature believers that any one of us, if somebody started something that was either bad doctrine or if they started calling people names like one of our presidential candidates, I wouldn't stop him. I wouldn't let him do that. And a lot of these same pastors are wanting to vote for the name color, <laughs> yet they don't want it in their church. We'll be back to our conversation with Steve in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about a couple of resources that may help you in uh, exploring this whole area of alternate ways to getting a message across. First is a new book called Sermons Reimagined by Rick Cromie. It'll help you dig into some of the theory and some of the ideas behind how we can be better communicators. And then Moving Messages is a new book by Rick Bunshu, and that book will walk you through his experience with bringing experiential message giving to a local congregation, Moving Messages. And now, back to our talk with Steve Sims. You would mentioned that uh, you've, you have had occasion where some people have... Uh, wanted to share multiple times and kind of take over in that way. Another 
aspect of that that I'm sure people fear is what if you get somebody who just goes on and on and on? Uh, yeah, that uh, is quite easy. Uh, we sit in a U-shape. We have three rows, and they're in a long U-shape, so you can see people's faces. And uh, if somebody and some people walk up to a mic, and some people share from their seat. But uh, recently, about a month ago, we had a guy, and he had, after about five minutes, he was getting repetitive. So I just walk up and put my hand on his shoulder and start patting him, and he keeps talking. And then I start rubbing his back, and then I start saying, "Amen." And and well, thank you, brother. And you know, I, I so I just you know gradually said, well, thank you, thank you for sharing. Okay, who's next? So, so it, it does take a little finesse. I mean, your role as the leader is not uh, to simply sit on the sidelines and let chaos happen if it should happen. Oh, right. You're, you've got uh, uh, a distinct role in using some finesse, some of your own skill to be able to move this thing in the, in the direction that is helpful and healthy. Yeah, and it's more discernment, and uh, you can you could meet this way, and still, as a pastor or leader, I could control it. Uh, in fact, I used to be a part of a prayer meeting where uh, the the meeting would start, and then the pastor would take it back and say, "Now, what's happened so far is so and so did such and such, and then he'd let it go again, and then he'd take it back." This is not that. This is not. Uh, me or, or any leadership directing it. We're just there if it's misdirected. And there are many times that I, somebody begins to share something that I'm not comfortable with. Uh, I mean, people also share heartbreak. And uh, sometimes somebody will stand up and start to weep. Last Sunday, we had a woman who had been through a, a terrible experience. Somebody had broken into her house the week before. And she stood up and began just to, to share. And the next thing, she was weeping. And in that case, we all gathered around. Even though we're about 30, 35 people, we still function like a small group. We gathered around, laid hands on her, prayed for her. A couple of people got words for her. And so, you know, it's. It, but the leader is there just to, if it gets off track, you know, like false doctrine or inappropriate behavior. Somebody says something really mean. I wouldn't let that stand. You know, well, thank you for sharing. But, you know, we are a body. We love each other. Jesus wants us to love each other. So, you know. You know, another thing that comes to mind that you just alluded to is the unexpected. That uh, with this approach to ministry, this approach to gathering, you never really know what's going to happen, do you? I mean, you never know. The, the contemporary church service today in most churches is so programmed right down to the minute there there are never any surprises at right. least from the leader perspective it it just runs like clockwork right down to the minute that doesn't sound like what you're experiencing uh no uh and uh as as a child i was so bored i when my presbyterian church following a bulletin everything program i used to call it stand up sit down you know because it had the asterisk and you stood at the yeah. asterisk and you sit down and you stood just like a bunch of robots and this gets me you know god is good all the time and yeah. all the time you know and, and look at your neighbor and say neighbor you're the best looking thing you know i mean what are we robots or something you know it's so programmed but what if the Super Bowl that just happened, you know, what if you get there and they give you a program that showed you every play that Peyton Manning was going to run and every play that Carolina was going to run? Most people would be terribly, they don't want a fixed football game. They don't want a fixed Super Bowl. So why do we settle for a fixed church service? 
I get a little passionate you about it. You do, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, another fear that I think people have when contemplating uh, this method is that uh, you've got a lot of introverted, shy people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe for those who, who like to stand up and talk and, and they're not afraid of the, a little bit of the spotlight. Uh, that that's great for them, but what about the shy person? Uh, no one is required uh, to uh, share. Uh, we have people that have, you know, they come for a year and don't share, uh, but anybody's welcome. So it's not dependent on anybody. But sometimes the the people that are very outgoing, you know, tend to share too much. So sometimes I'll, I'll just say, would uh, somebody who's not shared yet this morning like to share? Mm-hmm to give some of the shyer people that opportunity. And one thing, Tom, I'm not saying that the traditional method is wrong or that God's not using sermons or traditional church. God has used traditional church and sermons in mighty ways throughout church history. I'm just saying there's an alternative. Uh, You know, it's like if you're in battle, you you have a pistol and a hand grenade. You can't say, well, uh, I've got a pistol. God can't use the hand grenade. I mean, I can use the hand grenade, but I can't use my pistol. I think we need to use all the weapons that are available. And this is a biblical weapon. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It's plain as day. When you come together every one of you has a psalm a hymn a revelation and it goes on and so i'm just saying why not use all the weapons here's an alternative i would encourage traditional minded church folks and pastors uh, to just do what i call a jesus 12 go ahead and program you know uh, call to worship uh opening song announcements second song uh offering and then Jesus 12, and, and, and then the sermon. and just a Jesus 12 is giving the living Jesus 12 minutes to run the service so that when it comes to the Jesus 12, you wouldn't have an asterisk because you wouldn't want them all standing. they just say, all right, the pastor could say, all right, uh, it's now time for the Jesus 12. On the program, I'm going to sit down, and in 12 minutes, I'll stand up. Whatever Jesus tells you, do what Jesus' mother Mary said. Whatever he says to you, do it. And then the pastor sit down, let Jesus run the next 12 minutes, then the pastor could get up and do his sermon. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say there's no place for preaching, uh, you know. You know, another uh, concern I think people might have when listening to you is, well, I can see how this would work with your size of congregation. But I can't see how this would work with my church of 200 or 500 or 5,000. Yeah, and, and that's a good good uh, question. Uh, you know, we've had as many as 100 people present, and it's worked. Uh, I uh, have thought, if you're good at two or 300, what would we do? And the only thing that comes to me, I used to go to Catherine Coleman meetings. Uh, I loved Catherine well, Coleman. You go way back. Yeah, I go go <laughs> way back. In Southern California uh, at the Shriners Auditorium. And in Catherine Coleman meetings, uh, she let people come to the mic and share. Uh, they probably had screeners, but if you had 500 or 300 people, you would probably have to have a little more control, an open mic. And uh, 
when people come, if somebody wanted hands-on prayer, you'd probably have to say, would you go over in that corner and seven or eight people over there? And We interrupt the whole meeting if somebody needs prayer because we're a small group. But if we had 500 people, and we'd probably just let a few people take that person to the side. Mm-hmm. But it would still work. I was part of a church with 150 people once, and they, during worship they had an open mic, and it worked there. So, uh, and especially if you limited it, to, you know, just tried the Jesus 12. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, uh, you know, we the cell church movement, and uh, so many large churches have cell groups. I would just encourage, uh, if you've got cell, cell groups in your church, do an unprogrammed cell group. Instead of saying you have to discuss the pastor's sermon, don't be afraid. Let, him, let the Holy Spirit just open up and you know, or read. We also do small groups uh, reading through different books of the Bible. So, like, say the Book of James, and we just we don't need a Sunday school curriculum, or we just all right. Let's read the first six verses of the first chapter of James. Okay, what's that mean? And people share, and mm-hmm. I'm there in case somebody gives some totally off the wall, which doesn't happen, but just in case. So there are many alternatives if you don't want to do it on a Sunday morning. If a church would just give people the freedom in the small groups or the Wednesday night meeting or you know, to, to have this kind of freedom, it would really be amazing. You've talked a little bit about uh, if someone's interested in pursuing some of this type of ministry that uh, – they can transition into it by things like your your Jesus 12 concept of taking 12 minutes to to do it but i think a a lot of pastors and church leaders may be fearful of even trying it for fear that uh, the people themselves will reject it will revolt will uh, just think it's it's weird and mm-hmm. that they'll either lose people or they'll come under more criticism than they're under today already and therefore they're not willing to try it well and that's a possibility it's like uh it's called risk taking the other side is people could get on fire for god people could begin to grow like you've never seen them grow i have seen people grow spiritually far more rapidly in this style than I ever did when I was preaching. Mm. And so, you know, it's it's probably worth the risk to at least try it in a small group. Uh, my wife and I met with three other, actually two other couples, just three couples for a year in our home once. Once a week we met with these and, and just met like we're meeting on Sunday. And you don't need... Uh, you know, Jesus said we're two or three are gathered. So to try this, if you're afraid or, or hesitant or reluctant, I don't mean afraid in any you know negative way, but if you're just reluctant in front of the whole church, you could gather four, five, six, ten people in your home and mm-hmm. just say, we're just going to listen. And this has worked effectively for 400 years since the 1600s. The Quakers have met, met that way. And the modern Quakers... Uh, basically they broke into different divisions and the one that still meets that way is the liberal branch the conservative Quakers actually 50, 80 years ago started hiring pastors and setting up with a sermon so they went back to the Mm. old method and the liberal more new age Quakers still tend to meet there are a few conservative evangelical Quakers that still meet like this Mm. 
But I've had people say that shows the system's invalid. After 400 years, look how liberal the Quakers are. Wow. Well, after 300 years, look how liberal some of the other denominations <laughs> are. Like the Methodists, I mean, you know, and, and denominations that are wanting to do the, all these anti-biblical things. Huh. Uh, so it's not, you know, uh, almost any denomination second, third, fourth generation tends to get away from the early fire that birthed the denomination. Well, speaking of <clears throat> biblical things, what is the role of Scripture in weekly meetings like you described? Uh, it's it's essential. Uh, one woman who attended for uh, a good while, her husband would, didn't want to come, uh, so she wound up going back to a traditional church with him. But she said, I was afraid when I come, came here, I wouldn't get to the scripture. But I'm getting more scripture and learning more scripture here than I ever learned well, in a sermon. Because happen? it's coming forth. People are sharing scriptures. And we're living it. Uh, you know, it's uh, lay, uh, pray for one another that you may be healed. You can have a sermon on the head or you can do it. Uh, exhort one another. You can have somebody give a sermon about exhortation, or you can do it. Uh, you know, uh, rebuke one another. You can talk about it. You know, forgive. That we see. Confess your faults one to another. I've heard many sermons mm. on that. But what if you just say today, where you know you can do it. You're yeah. going to learn more doing the scripture than you are hearing a man talk about it. Huh. It's like learning to be a diesel mechanic. Okay, now this, you know, I'm just, if I give you an hour or 40, 30 minute talk every week on being a diesel mechanic, 10 years from now, you're not going to be a diesel mechanic. 20 years from now, you're not. If you, if I want you to be a diesel mechanic, I've got to get you up under the, mm. the hood and in, your hands on the engine. Okay, take this wrench and turn that screw. Mm. Good job. And, and let you get the feel of it. So you learn more Bible. You know, Bible is not. A, a textbook. We teach it like a textbook. It's a love letter from the living God. And you don't, when you get a love letter from someone, you don't pick it to death. Now, the original word dear, that's a term of endearment, and it's a salutation. And you don't use all these big words. You just go, dear Steve, oh, I love you. You don't say, now love is a strong emotion. You just, ah, oh, she loves me. You read it in your heart. And so people read and share from their heart. And America, the American church, we've made it too much about learning doctrine. Doctrine is important, but we need the fire. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the goal, I think, of, mm -hmm. of why we gather. And I think a lot of times, uh, at least for those who love to preach and are accustomed to, to that form of communication, that form of sharing the gospel, that form of, of the message, uh, for them, the goal is to have a well-prepared, well-delivered uh, theologically pure message and to, to execute that with, uh, with great quality. And uh -huh. if they do that, they feel that they've accomplished their goal. I take it that's not your goal. What is your goal for uh, the gathering? Yeah, our goal is that everyone that comes in the building will experience the presence of the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. He, uh, any evangelical Christian would agree with me that he's present when we gather in his name. Scripture teaches that. If he's really present, why can't he touch hearts? Why can't every person in the building feel his presence and be and surrender to his presence? So number one, that they feel his presence. Number two, that they hear him speak to their heart. Number three, that they obey 
whatever he tells them. If, and, and there's conviction. Uh, one reason that uh, people come sometimes and don't come back is you get convicted of your sins and it's kind of a meeting. You know, you could be committing adultery every week and go to most churches and hear all these great sermons, uh, but oftentimes there's no conviction. There's, mm -hmm. you know, you're just sitting there. And, but when you come into a meeting and you can feel the Holy Spirit, and we have people walk in the building and start weeping sometimes. Mm -hmm. And in the book of Acts, chapter two, one of the things that's different in the uh, a church of the book of Acts and the New Testament. I mean, the present day church versus the New Testament ecclesia says a sense of awe was among them in Acts 2, a sense of awe. Mm. That means they were stunned, overwhelmed. Whoa, uh, where, where in America can you go to a church and you walk in and you're like, oh, it takes your breath away. But, you know, not because of an eloquent message from a man who's named the ministry after himself, but because of the presence of God. And that's what happens in Ecclesia. Wow. Makes me want to come. <laughs> <laughs> and God, God can do that in other forms as well, but it's it happens consistently in Ecclesia. Wow. Your book, Beyond Church. <clears throat> Where can a person get a hold of it? It's available on Amazon. Uh, Amazon, uh, and it's in Kindle and in paperback. Great, great book. I read it, and uh, inspiring, inspiring story. Thank you, Tom. A new way to gather and to be God's people. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, it was my pleasure.